everybody welcome to the 238th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here in beaverton oregon and uh man it is a lot less beardy over on this side of the damn uh, zoom screen i, I trimmed my beard because your boy been has been like uh the beard care was not at its fullest so i was like fuck it i'm trimming it so um yeah beard. We're, we're, Beard upkeep is it is a second job. In yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't fuck with it, bro. It gets so I, I feel you when I ha- was growing out a beard, and whenever I, I sporadically decide to do what gets to a point where I start to play with it because it's one of my it's one of my ticks. I do it without even it's like I'm breathing, it's, it's second nature. It starts hurting. I'm like, okay, I gotta shave it off, and then I Sometimes I'll just, I'll let it go a week and then I'll shave, but that, that's kind of my routine because it's when I don't like shaving every day either, but uh, the, the, the upkeep. And so when I see someone with a really nice beard, I'm like, you must really love yourself to do that because that is a lot of time, effort and care. And also some beard, like not all beards are created equal. Some, some are easily trimmable. Mine it grows, but it's patchy. So unless I get it professionally trimmed, I I, I screw it up and I, I'm just back to square one. I'm like, okay, time to just shave it all off. But especially once it's starting to get into this nicer summer weather, you know, you got to tan the face a little bit. So I, I'm going uh, clean shaven for, for this episode. Well, yeah, like, you know, I, I've been streaming and I've been videotaping myself a lot more. Well, not videotaping, but recording myself a lot more for patreon you can check us out at patreon.com slash holy backboard and, and onlyfans.com slash this age <laughs> oh yeah if it never we could go out a very dark very gross uh line of uh thinking to start this podcast and i'm gonna i'm gonna slow it down here you can join our patreon though or you can follow my stream and i used to get like <laughs> random ass compliments about my beard and i'm like well, I'm not going to get that anymore, but man, I'm going to not touch my face nearly as much. And this is, this is good. This is very good. And if I'm clean shaven, I look like I'm 22 again, because Asians don't raise. And so, you know, there, there was a, there's a few decision points on, uh, you know, the beard uh, trimming. I might, I might even go all a clean shaven boy too, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot less uh, hairy over on the side of the uh, stream. Or the Zoom, excuse me. I mean, I feel like the Blazers collectively shaved their faces after <laughs> last week. It was almost like we did the team a solid. Everyone in Rip City shaved their facial hair. And it's like the Blazers, brand new, feeling good about themselves. I don't know what's in the water. I don't know what was said behind closed doors. Who knows? But whatever it is, whatever you're doing as fans, whether you're wearing the same shorts, jersey, hat, having the same pregame drink, whatever it is, let's keep doing it as we head down this stretch run because it is working. After losing five straight games, including all four on the homestand, losing 10 of 13 overall, just a terrible month of April, 
what was the remedy for the Blazers? Oh, you're going to go out on a six-game, 10-day Eastern Conference road trip, and you're going to do it in dominating fashion. The first four have came back stunning. The results have been fantastic for Rip City Sage. It kicked off with a 133-112 to drubbing of the Pacers in Indianapolis. The following night, it was their third game in four four games against the Memphis Grizzlies, and they put the Memphis Grizzlies in their place, uh, specifically calling out Dylan Brooks for saying they wanted that sweep. Portland handled business. The score really wasn't as close as the 130-109 final indicated. And on Friday, they went to Brooklyn and beat the Nets, a team that they couldn't beat at home without Kyrie and KD. Well, they did it this time. No James, no Kevin, but Kyrie was still there, and they are still a loaded offensive team. The Blazers put their foot down, winning 128-109. And then just this afternoon, it was a thrilling back-and-forth contest against the Boston Celtics, a team that seems like always goes down to the wire uh, against the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Tatum was red hot in that first half. Portland made some adjustments. And their three-guard lineup, they had it rolling. Melo hits a clutch shot late, and the Blazers escape 129-119. I believe it is the first time in franchise history the Blazers have won four consecutive road games by 10 or more points. Uh, They have two more games on this trip. But, Sage, the Blazers are somehow rolling. Again, I I don't know what to really make of it. Uh, I'm enjoying it as – I would assume all of Rip City is, but if the the score in Los Angeles holds, as we are recording, Toronto has a solid lead over the Lakers, the Blazers will be tied with fifth, for fifth in the Western Conference with the Lakers. Uh, they got more help from the Sacramento Kings, who just know how to beat the Mavericks. So thank you, Maurice Harkless and the Sacramento Kings. The Blazers are tied with Dallas, but of course we have that tiebreaker. We're sitting at 36 and 28, eight games remaining. Four on the road, four at home, and down the home stretch we come, Sage. Uh, it is really looking like a photo finish. Uh, Portland could realistically finish five, six, or seven, and clearly they do not want to make the play-in, but they also want to have the best matchup, and we're seeing shifting in the standings all across the Western Conference. So it is going to be a wild two weeks uh, uh, left in the season because May 16th is the last regular season games. So Sage, we have got two weeks left. They say you don't want to peak too early. Looks like the Blazers are peaking right on time. Yeah. I, I mean, I would have to say that Yusuf Nurkic's play has been one of the main factors for our uh, wins recently. He took advantage of a very, very small Indiana Pacers team, kept it up against the Grizzlies. He's just been so good defensively and offensively. He's been passing he's been scoring he hasn't he's been going up with two hands more often because you've seen him in the past just one hand a lot of offensive putbacks or post shots he one hands him now he's taking more care of the ball i think yusuf in the last like two plus weeks has been really good and you you can see the difference in our defense with yusuf on the floor versus ennis like there is a humongous improvement just by a guy that can help on screen and rolls or stop the lob. Like Yusuf has been playing some of his best ball, Dirk Fever quality basketball, but I think he's matured a little bit as well. So 
I think Yusuf's a huge reason why we're playing well. And there's that level of int- intensity in these wins where we we start playing our hardest. So it's been really good to see. Like we haven't even needed Dame to really explode because we've been beating their ass so much that he's on the bench in the fourth quarter. So it's been a really good week for us as a team. Our our big man's finally playing some good ball, and it, it has been wonderful to see. And you, you you led it off with with Yusuf Nurkic, and I think that that's incredibly important. I mean, there there was a reason why two years ago, before he had that injury against Brooklyn, where we were considering him our our second most important, our second best player, and arguably our most important. Not that he was better than Dane by any means, but you see what he's able to do as a, a modern day big with size positional rarity. He's, he's nimble. He's able, he's starting to finish a little bit better around the rim. There's still those lapses where he gets the ball close and he's, he's overshooting. So he does mm-hmm. need to work on his touch, but overall uh, I'm going to go back to the previous six games, not just during the four game winning streak, because he had really strong outings in those first two against Memphis. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's back to the Bosnian beast in the bubble. So we're looking at averages of 17 and a half points per game. He's doing that on 59% shooting from the field, uh, 13 rebounds per game under his, I would say typical assists when we're talking about Nurk fever, 2.8 but you can still see they are initiating offense through him, which has really allowed the three-guard lineup to flourish. And one stat I always look at when it comes to Nurkic is his free throw percentage. He was over 80% in the bubble, and that's when I can tell when he's locked in. Early on, early on in the season, you could see he would always brick that first free throw and always be long or front rim. Like You could just tell he wasn't locked in. Well, he's 21 of 28 at the line, 75%. And he's hit some pretty clutch free throws for, for the Blazers. And to me, that's always been a tell of how focused he is and just how dialed he is, di- dialed in he is. And so if, if Portland is to make a run to the finish line and make some noise in the postseason, I mean, I, it, yes, you have Damian Lillard, maybe the, the most lethal offensive player in, in the game. But I think everything rides on Yusuf Nurkic and how high he can get to his ceiling. So with Nurkic, he has – there's games where he's only played 19 minutes, so he's missing out on an entire rotation of production. So he could have produced more in these games if we weren't just blowing teams out of the water. So Yusuf has been so special – in these, these, these games with his production. So, you know, whatever he's doing now, he needs to continue doing because he makes our team very lethal when he's playing, you know, like mediocre, we're very beatable, but when he's playing this locked in, we're a tough out. And I believe he played for the first time Monday, Tuesday, or excuse me, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Indiana, Memphis, first time back to back all season so or since returning from the injury so that is another great sign that he's only getting stronger as we we head down this this you know this last quarter of a mile of the season yeah nurk's been fantastic man it's you know we, we have been such big fans of him when he's hitting his ceiling like 
we were talking about how he could be a top five center. Well, he's producing like a top five center in these games that limited as it is, he's still very productive in limited minutes. When they said that he won't have a minutes limit, but will play roughly 28 minutes, I was like, oh, he's back. He's ready to go. When when Nurk can play 28 and Ennis or the backup or the uh, small ball five can play the other 20, it's huge. When our starting five is in, we and we're locked in, we build leads. Having him there to just lock shit down is hugely important because I've I've been really focusing on Ennis Cantor defensively. If there is if the center sets an off ball screen, I can tell that there's going that player that got uh, freed up is getting an open three. We we when Ennis is in, our defense becomes really uh really easy to beat. So every minute that Nurks in, I just feel so much more safe. But uh, yeah, I'm starting to think that Ennis is a very, very, very valuable regular season player. But I think when games get more important, we're going to see a small ball five uh, Robert Covington in more than Ennis. It's easy to play. It's easy to attack Ennis Cantor. And in playoff basketball, you can't get, you can't give major minutes to a guy that, can just get attacked over and over and over again. I think it's all matchup dependent. Uh, totally. We wrote a, a Western Conference Finals appearance partially the on the back The game was end. different, though. It was, but it was also Steven Adams. That That's a great That's a great matchup. matchup. Russell, yeah. Russell Westbrook, you want him pulling up. They mm-hmm. could not shoot the three. Uh, Denver, again, they really... Outside of Jamal Murray, you you wanted Gary Harris to shoot. Uh, Will Barton was extremely streaky in in that series. So um, I, I think it's matchup dependent. I, I think it's more not just Ennis, but limiting the Ennis Mellow combination, just because two incredibly subpar defenders that we've discussed at length. So there's no real reason to discuss it a- anymore. But I think depending on the matchup that we get, we're going to need Ennis Cantor because the Blazers average over 15 second chance points per game. That's, that's tops in the league. Yes. They didn't get any tonight, which is, which is weird, but how many games have we won? Because Ennis Cantor has bailed us out with a, with a last second, you know, rebound or put back. I mean, he he's just always there. And I think those points are so invaluable for a team that doesn't force a lot of turnovers Mm, it's our easy buckets it's our easy bucket so i i do think it needs to be matchup dependent uh we did see terry stotts uh make an adjustment the third time we played memphis and ronde hollis jefferson was the first big off of the bench and i thought that was extremely uh wise to do because john morant had a field day the first two games Mm -hmm. so you had ronde hollis jefferson who was able to maybe move a little bit more with jaron jackson was able to hedge and blitz uh john morant and then when they went to their backup point guard you were then able to have ennis Cantor, the traditional matchup and he and he did his thing so you know i think a lot of that is going to ride on on terry stotts and, and we've said this before he's going to have to make some tough decisions somebody's minutes are going to have to get cut and it i think it just needs to be known and accepted that everything is for the betterment of the team like we're now here, eight games left. We're trying to win a championship. We're trying to advance as far as we can in the postseason, live up to our lofty expectations. 
if there's a game that Ennis has to play 30 minutes, fantastic. If there's a game that Mello has to play just eight, it's not, that needs to be the case. Like we are now at the point of no return. Like you're not cutting anybody. You're not trading anybody. Uh, we're in the thick of it now. All of those blood, sweat, and tears that you put into the summer, into this compressed NBA season, you don't want to give all of that away just because, oh, I need to give X player their minutes. So if I, I liked that Terry showed the ability to adapt and adjust from uh, watching the film and, and putting Rondé in that. Like, I think Rondé is going to play a little bit more down the stretch. I thought he could have been used a little bit tonight in that game against Boston because when Boston, we matched them on offense. We had 37 in the second quarter against Boston. They had 39. That's really when Tatum started to uh, assert himself. And, and you, you mentioned it. They hunted Cantor every time on that pick and roll. So if you were going to play Carmelo, Carmelo had a wonderful shooting night. I would have liked to have seen Rondé uh, in there. So that that's still where I'm hesitant to be all in on this Blazers team because we didn't make that adjustment. And that was uh, pretty obvious to me. And we were able to turn it around the second half, large in part, like you said, to, to Nurkic being able to log more minutes. But it's going to have to come down to how does Terry manage these rotations? We're already seeing mm-hmm. him shrink shrink the rotation. Derek Jones Jr. is completely out. out. Mm -hmm. He has uh, missed, uh, he was a DNP three straight games, played three minutes against Pacers, the Indiana Pacers. Um, Sage, do you think, I mean, he's clearly out of the rotation. We we saw him. um, Him and Nas are kind of out of it, but yeah. Yeah, we we saw Eric Spolstra take Derek Jones Jr. out of the rotation for the Miami Heat in, in the playoffs as well. Um, he only played four minutes in a blowout game against the Pacers. Uh, he only logged five minutes that that last Sunday game against Memphis. Um, in April, 14 minutes per game, only logged 20 minutes one time. If you look at his minutes per game, they have consi- consistently went down by month, like almost 34 per game in December, 26 in January, 27 in February, 23 in March, and again, 14 in April. And none so far in may so do you think and and we've we've discussed it before sage with with derek and terry and terry's comments towards towards derek do you think it's a organizational decision that okay we 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 would like derek to opt out to free up free up that money like we we don't see a role for him next year with with the progression of this year or do you think it's just we don't see him helping the team at this, like what, what he has to offer isn't helping the team. Like, do you think it's a little bit of both? How, how do you view that? Because for a mid-level, that was our big free agent signing. For him to go to starting to racking up coaches, this DNP coaches decisions, that, that's a pretty big shift in the pendulum. So what are your thoughts on that, Sage? I think it's bullshit that he's not get in the rotation. Um, what Terry Stott said of, about that Memphis game in particular, is bullshit. The rotation that uh, Hollis Jefferson got in front of DJJ, the excuse was that he was that Hollis was playing the small ball center, and that's just bullshit. When you watch them defensively, sure he played offensively as the five because he can't shoot. So if you watch that game, and I was paying attention because uh, Kevin, it's because of uh, he was the small ball five. Well, normally the center guards the center. I saw Hollis Jefferson on Desmond Bain just as much as the big. So 
that excuse doesn't make sense because if if I'm if we're doing a five man lineup with the two guard two of our guards, Ron um, Mello, Robert, those two can play the five. I would have rather had DJJ. I think that he helps our team more than than Rondé Hollis Jefferson. So I don't know what's going on between the the brains trust of the Blazers and DJJ. But for me, I think that he would help our team more than Rondé Hollis Jefferson or spot minutes from whoever. So <clears throat> I, I personally think I think he improves our team with the stuff that he brings and his his confidence to at least shoot the ball. He might not be the best shooter in the world, but Rondé Hollis and Jefferson's too scared to even attempt it. DJJ will at least attempt to shoot, and it goes in sometimes. So I don't know what's happened between Stotts and the brain trust of the Blazers and DJJ, but I think that he would help us. It's kind of a shame that he is completely out of the rotation because I think that type of athleticism, we really haven't had it much from a wing position. We could use that type of athleticism, especially defensively in that second unit. So I, 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 I would like to see DJJ play. It just doesn't look like it's happening. And that's a damn shame in my mind because I think he could help us. Like devil's advocate, traditionally coaches shorten rotations as they get towards the postseason and in the postseason. You have your starting five. Um, you've got Cantor, you've got Carmelo, and now Anthony Simons slash well, Nas- yeah. Nasir Little have beat him out. I would say they have both outproduced him. So to me, Derek would be Derek's probably your, your 10th guy in the rotation. Would he be ahead of Ronda Hollis-Jefferson in your mind? To me, it depends on the matchup. Like, if I'm looking at Memphis, I liked that we played Ronda because he was a, a bigger – we didn't need offense. We needed to stop Memphis. We needed to rebound the basketball and not give up so many points in the paint. Um, and it, to me, it was not – he was taking Cantor's minutes, not Derek's minutes, because Cantor and Ronda weren't playing at the same time. Um. I, I just think he's he's the odd man out right now. Um, I can accept Powell's, that, but when I, but when I see players that can't shoot and ruin spacing, I'd rather have I'm, Derek Jones Jr. play. And I would say Derek can't shoot either. But here's the deal: you know why Russ is a better player than Ben Simmons in terms of offensive spacing? Because Russ is willing to shoot, and Ben isn't. So that, like, when you're talking about spacing, at least. Derek's willing to shoot that. Ronda Hollis Jefferson would rather do anything else on the basketball okay, part than shoot a three. I, I think we're talking about the wrong, different things. I'm not talking about Derek versus Ronda. Like, they could be fighting for the 10th spot. I'm just talking about out of their rotation completely. So I think it's more of a conversation between Derek or Ant or Nas. Pick two of those three. Right now, I mean, I would pick. I would pick the young guys, but Ant Nas are outperforming him. So, I mean, yes, I think we're really getting into the weeds if we're talking Ronde versus DJ. I mean, I, that's. But that that was the absolute. Dis- in my mind, that was the decision in Memphis. And you can I mean, say that he was taking any spot, but that's so. just bullshit. If you watch the game, he did. He did because he didn't. But he defended previous- Desmond Bain like six percent of the time. That's, That's okay. a three. That's okay. Who cares who he defended? He, he, Ennis Cantor would have came in for Nurkic. Rondé came in 
and he was what what it doesn't matter what position he was he came in when Ennis Cantor normally would have came in and then once they got John Morant to the bench then Ennis subbed out or subbed in for for Ronde I, I was just saying that it feels like they're trying to get DJ to not accept this player option and, and move on because that's such on, a bad look though you're you're like uh. I, I think it shows growth in a way I don't like how it was handled, especially with the comments from from the coach. But if you look at it from a one through fifteen point of view, you've got you want to do everything you can to bring Norman Powell back. Mm-hmm. Okay, there, there's your three. I think we all can agree on that. I think we all can agree that Nasir Little is the future at that forward position. So you've got that position locked up. There, there's really no other minutes. So I, I think. It, it's a kind of beneficial for all parties. Yes, if Derek comes back, that that's fine. I I, I really like him. He could be a, a pseudo Rodney Hood where he gets spot minutes or he's used as a, a contract filler in a trade, but maybe he goes on and, and moves elsewhere. And Portland is, just has a little bit more room uh, under the tax. They, they can breathe a little bit uh, easier instead of, you know, we were right neck and neck at, at the luxury tax. I know that's been a, a point of contention for, for the brain trust. Um, I, I just was was thinking of it it is kind of strange that our our premier mid-level signing who i i was not on board with like go back to those those you know season oh, yeah, yeah, episodes absolutely. did not like that signing i grew to like Derek as a person and he's fun when he you know he's, he makes some highlight plays but i mean this is kind of what we all expected he is not a good fit with a terry stotts offense like we don't have good lob passers we don't generally run a lot of uh, cutting involvement. It's been better with Nurkic back, but it just it seemed to be kind of square peg round hole with, with DJ. I mean, he's probably frustrated as well because he was open so many times on the break, uh, so many times in the half court set before lobs. And it was just like, okay, no, you're going to be Nick Batum. You're going to be Mo Harkless. Go sit in the corner, take your three if it comes. And DJ is not a jump shooter. I mean, watch him at the foul line. He, he doesn't even, for someone who elevates as much as he does, he does, he is, he is Sam Perkins out there on, on the three point line. He is just barely getting off the floor and you're not going to knock down too many like that. So um, I think it's been a weird situation, but so far it doesn't seem like it's hurting the team morale. Uh, it was just interesting I, to I see. I think that. that's on DJ for being a, a good teammate. Like, yeah, for sure. Because if he, if he, he got jerked around like that, I know players in the NBA would, that would not be uh, satisfied with that at all. I mean, dude's still pulling down nearly $10 million a year, so I'd hope he'd be okay. Hey, man. You get $10 million just to chill. Sign me up. Sign me up. To go from a player that the Blazers signed relatively quick in the free agency, that they obviously felt some sort of way that he's a value, then to go from you're great, you're great, you're great to sit your ass on the bench. That's got to hurt the ego. It is. But I think what makes it feel a little bit better is we're not the only franchise that is done. Yeah. We're we're, one, we're winning, but we're not the only franchise that has done that. I I value Eric Spolstra in in his thought process. I mean, that he's one of the best coaches in the league. So he clearly, you know, coaches have to make tough decisions. He shortened his rotation and and Derek really wasn't involved. Uh, My only, I, my only hope is with the compressed schedule, we have 
eight games in like 14 days. It's pretty ridiculous. He should play some minutes. We need sure. to get him. Yeah, we need to get him some minutes. So um, I I do agree that he shouldn't be getting these, these you know, just not even registering a minute. Um, and he can't help. <laughs> he can't help. But also, like, you do need to keep the rotation tight. And, you know, I at this point, Ennis and Mello are getting their minutes. And as long as we're winning, we can kind of shut our mouths on that uh, because winning cures all. And then honestly, I'm just really glad that we're, we're seeing, you know, the seared get some time. Um, I Did think he play today? I don't he played against so. the Celtics. Mm. Um, I'm more upset about Nasir's minutes getting jerked around than, than DJ's because I think Nasir's really Well, Nasir's going to be on the team for six more years and we, we DJ hope. could leave. As long as I don't think Nasir Little's going to pull uh, uh, Kristaps Porzingis in, in his final year of that rookie scale and say, fuck it, trade me now. So, you know, in theory, you know, that absolutely could happen, but I don't think it will. DJ might, this might be the last 15 games of his Trailblazers career. Nasir has at least two more years un, under like, you know, cap friendly contracts. So I, I, I would rather have Nasir get the minutes over DJ. But let's talk about the player I think that has taken a massive leap and probably a big reason why we're talking about so many, uh, you know, coach no coach decisions no shows for or not no shows but but no 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 participation for for dj is anthony simons i mean mm-hmm. the kid has been red hot during this four game win streak he's 14 of 23 from downtown he hit nine of 10 against the pacers including nine straight um he just is unfazed unflappable catch and shoot quick release he's putting the ball on the floor mm-hmm. a that's where more. i like he just seems like he's feeling more comfortable and confident. And for a player who has been jerked in and out of the rotation, it's nice to see that he's, he's ready. And he's like, okay, like I mentally, he is locked in because at a moment's notice, he's being called upon almost like a DH in baseball. Okay. Come get us a, come get us a hit in the clutch. He's, he's providing consistent offense and it's to the point where he shoots, you expect it to go in. So it's been wonderful to see him finally start to kind of break out of his shell a little bit and just be like, okay, like I'm getting minutes. I'm helping the team. Like there's no fear from him. So my, my question for Ant or for you about Ant is right now he's playing as the one, do you project him as the point uh, as a point guard or as a, a two in the future? I still think he is a hundred percent a shooting guard. I think you need to play him with another ball handler on the floor. Uh, probably somebody who is more stout, who can be a little bit more of a better defender. That That's Anthony's biggest weakness right now is he needs to get his weight up. Like he needs to spend his summer. His effort defensively has been so wonderful. Uh, I noticed it in the Indiana game specifically and in Memphis, he is going 110% on his rotations. It seems like the communication is, is uh, much improved team-wide and you're just seeing him close out without fouling, getting to the double team, but also getting back. Uh, the effort defensively, especially on the perimeter, has, has been fantastic. Well, I, I, I really like the way that he has uh, scrapped for loose balls and like 
when he digs on the perimeter on a driving player, he'll he'll get a hand in there and might force a turnover. Ant's been showing out and being a uh, really clutch uh, defender and shot maker. And it's, it's a big difference between early in the year Ant where we were arguing about five-minute rotations. Now it's like he's, he's earning them and producing. I, I, I do think that he needs to, he's the type of player that needs to have another ball handler with him, but it, it, it is what it is. He, he's deservant of his, his rotation minutes. And the fact that when he shoots, you expect it to go in is, is pretty great for, for a guy that, you know, you and I watched earlier in his career is like, does he belong here? So it, it's great for ant, but um, there is a, a player that I love. And I think you like a lot. What do you think about Norman Powell and his fit currently with the Blazers? Because if you look at his production, it's gone down, but is it his fit or is it, you know, when he was with the Raptors, Fred Van Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry liked the ball, but Dame and CJ love that shit. So he's getting less opportunities to, to shoot and score. Well, you look at, at Norman Powell, and I, I had it on my notes. I was like, Powell more involved. And I was, you know, looking at, at during the win streak, and I was like, oh, he's taking, you know, 48 field goal attempts. That's that's 12, 12 per game o- over the course of, of that winning streak. But it's really not any more, mm. any less than, than what he was getting. I would say it. The Celtics game changed my perception, could change perception, because all three did well. It's interesting because let's look so Powell had a, had a strange week like he, he doesn't score against the Pacers but we, we, we didn't need out of the water it was like a 30 plus yeah. point victory but they all three played well the following uh, two of the next three games you're looking at Memphis where you've got Norman shooting 57 percent 24 points CJ shooting 67 percent 26 points Dame shooting uh, only 40% beginning to the line nine times, 23 points. So you are getting 73 points from your big three on offense. And that's what Neil envisioned when he brought in Norman Powell. What I've noticed over this four game winning streak, it's hard to quantify. And that's why I kind of stopped with, with the, um, with the mathematics and, you know, saying, you know, he's averaged this many shots versus this. It, it's strictly the eye test and it's about the looks that he's getting. It's, off of a lot. So Norman Powell is such a smart basketball player that he'll find the open spot and he'll you saw with Dave spot. getting trapped on the three point line against the Boston Celtics. Exactly. He does a fantastic job of finding the open spot in the defense. He really takes advantage of defenses keying in on Damian Lillard. Um, he went through a bit of a shooting slump from three, but it looks like he's finding his rhythm there. He's picking and choosing his spots to be aggressive. But what I love most about him is when he gets the ball, especially off of a handoff from Merrick on a curl, he is a straight downhill line drive dribbler. And he's taking it to the rack and he's finishing it really well in the in the open court, uh, as we saw on one of the final possessions against Boston. He took the ball and he, he likes to dribble the ball with his right hand on the left hand side of the floor. He's like, I'm going to keep I'm gonna take this all the way. And he basically sealed the game with a layup. You feel comfortable and confident 
that he's going to get to the rack. He's going to finish. And if he doesn't, he's going to get fouled. He just gives us another dimension. So like CJ Dane and Norm all are ball handlers and they're all shot creators in, in their own ways. Norm probably doesn't get by his defender or isn't the best one-on-one player of the bunch, but he looks to drive more than the other two. One, he's, he's got the body for it. He, he's strong. He's stout. He can go in there and take a little bit of contact. And two, you have so many players who are perimeter-oriented. Damon, CJ, they, CJ probably rather pull up for them mid, that mid-range, maybe more of the three this year. Dame needs to kind of pace himself. Sometimes he'll attack the rim. Sometimes he'll he'll, he'll go under and, and take the three. But Powell is that type of player that really puts pressure on the defense every time he has the ball. And so over these past four games, you've just kind of seen that that core. And I think a lot of it has to do with Yusuf Nurkic mm. initiating the offense because everything is out of the high post with him. There's just so much more movement. There's so much more cutting and, and unselfishness and a willing and a trust in the teammates and that's Toronto basketball that's why he thrived with with Fred and Kyle and Pascal and you know Serge and Marcus Gasol back back a, a couple years ago is because they moved the ball they played team basketball he he's not built to be a three and deep stick sit him in the corner and just hit open threes like like a Robert Covington he's best off the move ball in his hands either shooting the open shot or putting pressure on the defense and going and going there. And I think with all of this movement, he is getting fantastic looks, a high, high um, percentage shots. And it's just, it's right in his wheelhouse. Like he's such a team oriented player. Like if, if I think of one blazer that would fit in flawlessly with the 77 team, it's, it's Norman Powell. Like I could envision him fitting perfectly with, with Walton and Lucas and, you know, Twardzik and, and Bobby Gross and Hollins and just everyone running and gunning, moving without the basketball, everything running out of that high post. And it seems like the team is adapting to Norman Powell rather than the other way around. And I think that's key because he brought in so many good habits and we're seeing the rewards from that when the team plays more team oriented basketball, Sage. I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that he is giving the Blazers some good habits, but I think that there's times in the game where he becomes aggressive because Dame, CJ, and Mello love shooting the ball. So, you know, there, there's moments where he's overly aggressive because, you know, the, the offense hasn't flown, so he'll force some stuff. But I think that he's been a really good player for our team. It's just there's been a few games where he hasn't really produced offensively. So I'm, I was worried that people will, are thinking like, you know, the honeymoon period's over. But when you look at what Norman Powell's produced on the court, it hasn't just been buckets. It's been good defense, passing, you know, like there was a, cl- a time where he drove it on the Celtics and kicked it out to an open CJ who, uh, did a, a, a rhythm dribble three and made it like a lot of what Norm is producing is great. And like, if, if he'd, if he's slumping a little bit offensively, he's still producing in other ways. And I'm really enjoying Norman Powell on this team. I mean, I think a, a classic example of Norman Powell 
not having a good game and the Blazers still thriving is you can just look at that Pacers box score and you can see there are six players that got over 10 field goal attempts. Uh, nobody shot the ball more than 14 times. Norman still got six shots up. So it, it wasn't just that Norman wasn't getting a shots. Like there was also everyone was getting a little bit of, of the pie. Like everyone got their slice and you can see the results because every, when you, even when you played as a youth, whether it was at the boys and girls club or for your school team, when you know that if you pass the ball, you have a good chance of getting it back. If you know that teammates are willing to play within themselves and, and share the ball, you're more one, your focus goes up. You're, you're more inclined. You're, you're more locked in and engaged because you, Hey, I might be getting the ball ready to shoot. Turns up your defense as well. Makes you want to play harder. Makes you want to get the ball back on offense. So you can get those chances of scoring. And three, most of the time, it leads to winning basketball. So I think we're seeing the Blazers really lose a lot of that hero, ISO heavy basketball that they were playing, whether, you know, Dame, CJ, and Mello were taking the lion's share of the shots over the duration of the game. I think we talked about it uh, two episodes ago, like Dame and CJ combined at the time shot more than any other duo that Portland was in contention with. What we're really seeing now, I think, is a distribution of of wealth. CJ McCollum, for example, I've noticed is taking so many fewer shots, so many better, uh, so much more efficient looks. Over over his last four games, all Portland victories, 60 field goal attempts. That's 15 per game. He was at 19.1. That is a significant drop. And I'm not saying that that CJ was the root of the problem, but when you have two ball dominant guards who I would say are more on the inefficient side, uh, day makes up for, for going to going to the line. It really, you know, burdens your offense. You really rely on Damon CJ to carry the load. And, you know, I can't, think of how many times we've discussed, you know, why don't Damon CJ play well together? You know, it's always one or the other, but now you're seeing the offense start to run through Nurkic a bit much more unselfish. I've seen a lot more trust from Dame and CJ in their teammates. And I think Norman Powell is a beneficiary of that trust of that movement of the reduced looks from CJ McCollum. I think CJ is a better player when he's taking 15 shots versus 19 because I know he's a smart enough player to be choosy about those looks. He's not going to, he's, he is so much more than just a gunner. Like he, he is better than a Jamal Crawford type of player where he's going to go out there and, and try to shoot the ball 20, 25 times. He's, he's smarter than that. And I think you're starting to see him like Norman pick his spots like okay dame is at the head of the table dame you can shoot 20 25 times tonight if you want to if that's the way the game's flowing but you you have skin in the game like your reputation allows for that like you're one of the five to ten best players in the world do do what you want but then i think maybe the team was starting to be like okay cj like what have you really accomplished why are you shooting as much as as our leader so i think it's it's been beneficial for the entire team to know that, okay, we're all going to get our looks. We're all going to play within one another. We're not going to go one-on-one and and play some hero basketball. We're going to win this as a team because we don't have the trios of, you know, the Bucks or 
or the Nets or the dynamic duos of the Lakers or Clippers or, or any of those teams. Like we are, you know, undervalued, underestimated, underappreciated, small market Portland trailblazers. Yes, we got Dame, but even Dame can't buy calls from the officials. So, you know, we have to play with a chip on our shoulder. It, it's, it really takes, uh, you know, they say, you know, takes, takes a village. And that's what it's going to have to be for this team. And I've been very enthused, not just by the win, Sage, but how we are winning. This type of basketball feels sustainable. This feels like we are playing winning basketball. And it's wonderful to see the results match up with how we are playing. I mean, it's that level of intensity. We we've had this bad habit of starting out the first quarter kind of lackadaisical and then uh, realizing that we're playing a pro basketball game and then we need to match or exceed efforts. Those four games, we punch them in the mouth quickly and then continue playing with that effort. I have a question for you. Who do you think Norman Powell has been on the floor with the most? I have the stats looking at it right now. Who do you think his top two lineups are with? Who are the top two players he's played the most minutes with? Nurk and CJ? No, unfortunately. It's Robert Covington and CJ. He Norman Powell has only played 330 minutes with Yusuf. He's played 529 with CJ and 508 with Rob. How do you feel about that first rotation, Norman, CJ go out in the first quarter, and then they come back in the second? Do you like that the, the fact that Norman, Rob, and CJ have played the most minutes? Or who would you want uh, Norman Powell to play with the most? We're diving I mean, deep think, into rotations now. I mean, I think it's going to be the starting five. Once everyone gets accustomed to when I mean, Dane missed some time. Uh, Nurkic is just getting back off of his minutes restriction. He's finally able to play in back-to-back games. So I think it will be Nurk. I think everything needs to really revolve around Nurkic. You know, you always mm. want to have at least one ball handler with with Norman, whether that's Anthony, CJ, or Dame. I think Covington's great because he's an outlet on, and on doesn't, offense. He doesn't demand the ball. And he's, he plays defense. He rebounds. Mm-hmm. He he does all of all of the little things. And then you can maybe throw in um, someone like. Dennis, who can clean up the mess or whatever, but it's it's nice when Norman is on the floor and he can be the second or first or second option. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy to see that uh, he's played really like it seems like Norm and Mello never are on the court together, or it's very limited of time. Like Stoth has done a a good job of putting Norm with players that he can succeed with. Like when Mello was on the court with some of our guards, we just feed him. And sometimes feeding Mello isn't the best offense because it's really, really easy to defend four players watching someone. It's very, go to work in the it's yeah. very stagnant and it can take the team out of the, out of the rhythm. Uh, if you have a mismatch, obviously exploit it. And I think that's why Mello and, and Simons work so well together because Simons is a great catch and shoot player. And if they come with a double, Anthony's okay with just, you know, hanging out and waiting for that pass. Whereas Norman, I think, thrives more when there's much more action and movement involved on the offensive end of the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
So how are you feeling about the three guard lineup currently? And I know the fact that we just beat beat, beat four teams with the small ball lineup might dissuade you. But how are you feeling about the three guard line currently? And I, I think we should talk about Robert Covington as well after the three guard lineup discussion. Well, I think the best. So we talked about Yusuf Nurkic to to start the episode, but I think the the best thing that came out of this week for me was Damian Lillard looks like Damian Lillard, and he did it. He did it on both ends of the floor. You look at his performance against Brooklyn, eclipsing the thirty point mark for the first time since the I believe it was April first against the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, it was just a, a putrid month for our superstar, but he ended it on a high note, 32, nine and seven, eight of 13 from downtown. I mean, he had a couple of logo launches that really blew that game open, completely outperformed uh, his counterpart in Kyrie Irving. And then you look at his performance tonight. I believe he had a double, double. uh, Yeah. Oh, dominating performance by Damian Lillard. 26 points, 13 assists, six rebounds. And then he also did it on the defensive end of the floor. Everything turned around for the Blazers in that second quarter against the Indiana Pacers when he took the matchup with Malcolm Brogdon personally, and he clamped him up. Up until that point, that I was watching it, and I was like, "Eh, do we win? Do we lose? I don't know. Like, starting to look for the positives in either outcome. He goes on Brogdon. It was like, the light went off on everybody's, you know, heads and we're like, okay, we're in this, we're, we're going to take off now. And it all started with, with Damian Lillard playing defense and the three guard lineup lethal on offense Sage, the way it works is if they're able to hold their own defensively, you saw Damian again, take the challenge of guarding Jason Tatum. I believe he only had nine points in the second half after having 23 or 24 in the first half. Uh, it was a combination of blitzing him, doubling him, but but Dame was right on him every time he had the ball. And I've seen Dame play some lazy defense over the course of the season. He was locked in tonight. He's been locked in this entire stretch. And I think when you have your leader setting the tone, a leader not normally known for his prowess on the defensive end of the floor, show a willingness to put in the dirty work, to put in the effort there, I, I think it just... And it holds everyone accountable because now we talked about this last episode. Dame didn't really have a voice on the defensive end because he was a bad defender. If he's playing good defense, he can now go out and say, you need to step up. I'm setting the example. You follow my lead. And so I thought that was the best thing that I saw this week. And it really takes that three guard lineup to the next level because if Dame's able to guard a guy like Tatum or Brogdon, you know, CJ's been been better um, on ball this year. Norman obviously has that championship DNA. I think the only way it hurts Portland is matchup based. Like the Clippers still scare me because they can go in the post and they can run a lot of offense through that. So height is going to be a challenge for Portland. They're going to have to get creative on defense, uh, something that they haven't shown um, a tendency to do, uh, to be quite honest. So if they're able to get creative and, and make it work, it's fantastic. But it, it all stems defensively, Sage. I mean, you know, when Jason Tatum was going off 
the Celtics were just running pick and roll and pick and roll and putting him on a positive matchup. So he would end up on Dame and just rise up and shoot. But when Dame took on that challenge, they could, I mean, they could just set screens and screens and screens and Dame would end up on him, but he was willing to take on that challenge and he was a lot less effective. So that type of effort has to be there when you're in the playoffs because they're going to put you because Dame's only 6'3", they're going to put their best offensive player on him and make Dame work defensively because you can't let Dame rest uh, defensively and then just kill you on the offensive side. So they're going to attack him. If he's willing to put in that level of effort, it's going to be huge. And you definitely saw it in in, the, in that second half. Tatum had, Tatum had players like in his pocket. Dame was in his pocket. So that's the type of effort we need to see in the in the playoffs because we, we know we can do it. We have to just be consistent with it now. Um, so the finishing five was a little little weird this this game. Um, it was our guards, Mello and uh, Yusuf. And then for like a minute, Robert played. And then Mello came back in and hit a clutch three. So, I, I you know, he shut me up. How do you feel about, in the most clutch minutes, the guy that we brought in to be our star-level defensive player is on the bench chilling? What do you? What, it worked in our favor today. But in the playoffs, do you expect Melo to be in there in the finishing five and Robert Covington chilling on the bench? Like, Do you think that we're going to have our best defensive player on the floor in playoffs? Or am I just being way too optimistic and wishful thinking that we're going to see Robert Covington in clutch minutes. Yeah. Had that game went South, there was oh, a lot God. more. This would be a very unpleasant podcast. Because it was the exact same situation that Terry Stotts did when Boston was in Portland. Yeah. Covington didn't play the final six minutes and it was CJ who Tatum rose over the top of to hit that, that, that game defining three point shot. I would have – you bring in Covington. We gave up our best trade asset. We gave up our the most draft capital you can give up without getting an all-star player. He is the one of the best off-ball defenders we have. He's great in trapping. He's smart. He's savvy. You have three players, Dame, CJ, and Powell, who can get you a bucket. Nurkic, you can run some offense through as well. You don't necessarily need the offense of Carmelo Anthony in that situation. You said it, he hit that big three, and God damn, it was a big three, and Mello has been extremely clutch for us, so in that instance, it worked. I would always err on the side of putting in a better defender there, um, and, and the reason I say that is you ne- back up. We were up by like six or seven points with like three minutes to go. And we had like three straight possessions where uh, Evan Fournier ripped CJ, Dame drew, Dame drew a charge on Peyton Pritchard, which shouldn't have been a charge, but they called it a charge. And then he had another possession where he basically dribbled the ball into oblivion for 20 plus seconds. There's not a lot of movement there. I don't think if Melo's in the game, we're probably running offense for Carmelo. It's, it seems like we have a harder time this season when, when Melo's in a finishing five to get him catch and shoot opportunities. If, 
if you go back and watch that tape, the three we're talking about came off of transition. So the defense didn't have time to get set. I think Covington is just a little bit more, not necessarily reliable, but he's more comfortable. Like he knows what he's going to do. Like he hit that big bailout three. He knows him. And I just, I think you're getting more, Covington's going to give you more defensively with that lineup than Carmelo is offensively. It worked in, in, our, in, the, in our favor for this time, but, you know, it, it's, it is painful to see that, you know, Covington was plus 11 on the night. Melo was uh, even, even, even at zero. And Covington was a huge reason why I think we held the, the Celtics. Let me do some quick math right here. We held the Celtics to 48 points. In, in the second half, which was fantastic. And you can't do that without Nurkic and Covington. Like those are our rocks defensively. So again, it, it worked. I, I'm not going to complain too much, but that, that is, that is playing with fire. That's, that's all I will say. I was relieved when Robert Covington came in for mellow for that one minute stretch in the fourth quarter. I was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to have good defense. And, you know, I feel I, you know, Mello, Mello hit the three. So as soon as I was talking about how happy I was that Rob was in, he was out and Mello hit a, a, a three as a trailer. I think we have to get used to having that starting five play as many minutes together in clutch time. Mello is so valuable in a lot of s- scenarios, but those five need to learn how to play together. <laughs> so, and especially in the most important five. time. Like, you know... It, Robert Covington can get open shots in the second quarter. He'll get as many open shots as he wants, but we need to see what these five can do and clutch the last five minutes of the game. The most important five minutes of the game is at the end. And a lot of times Carmelo's in over Robert Covington. And aside from Norman Powell, who can return four of our five, four of our five starters are under contract for next season as well. So, we want, and who knows where the restrictions are going to be with the coronavirus and how well they're going to be able to maybe play or get get together during the summer or even fall camp. Like the these minutes are so precious. So precious. <laughs> There's been hardly any practices this year. We got Powell about a month and a half ago. Dame's been in and out of the lineup. Nurk's been in and out of the lineup. I I am a hundred percent agreement with you. Like we need, this is the lineup. This is our best five. Like this is, if if we are to make a run, it will be on the backs of of these five players. CJ Dame, Yusuf, Norm, Robert Covington have played 220 minutes together, 478 possessions. How many games do we have left? Eight. In those eight games, how many minutes per game do you want to see those five on the court together? I don't know because we may be jockeying for playoff position. We may be resting them like we did the last game of the 2019 season. We have a back-to-back tomorrow, so I'm sure we're going to see a deeper rotation. This is a weird season, but I do want to see it a lot in the postseason. Just give me 20 minutes of, of glory a game, Terry. Just, just give me a little bit of of what I need. What I need is those five to, to play together. I just need to see what these guys can do. Cause they, they, they can be a fucking one hell of a, a lineup to defend. So I'm hoping that we can see them quite a bit and at least, at least a few minutes a game. like first, the first rotation, the fourth rotation, just give me this Terry. 
before we get into our fan questions, I want to, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it, it's been hashed and hashed and hashed, but were you able to read the Chris Haynes piece? Yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, yeah. What, what do you think about it? So the reason I, I feel like we have an obligation to discuss it because half of my timeline was discussing it, but I'm over it. Uh, I, to me, I tweeted out like we were actually winning games and all of a sudden this comes out and you've got Stott supporters and Olshea supporters and it was a goddamn battle royale. And I, I'm just over it because it's, it's never one. It's, it's, it's so gray. There is no black. There is no white. It is so great for me. I do think Neil Olshea should go all in. However, Portland probably has to trade CJ McCollum to go all in. So is Damian Lillard going to be okay with that? He has to know that we can't get players like Ben Simmons or Pascal Siakam for, you know, Trevor Reese's contract and two, two uh, draft picks. Like that, that's not realistic. So yeah, 2k wouldn't give us so a superstar for that. For us to go all in, like it, it's either CJ or Nurk. And I know you're close with both. Like we can't just magically make somebody come to Portland. I, I know his camp wanted Aaron Gordon, but I'll take Norman Powell over, yeah, Norman over Aaron better. Gordon seven days a week. However, you know, I, I would say that Neil's done a good job this year. Uh, he has had say major hurdles that he did not cross 2016, 2017. We have talked about that. And last year too, let's be real. We had one center for 80% of the year. The white side trade was a massive bust. Uh, I, I think well, we and, all... the, to, and the Gasol signing, the, the yeah. Tolliver signing. Yep. Uh, he, he, Hazonia. Well, Hazonia was the reason we got Cantor. So, but like a lot of L's were happened in that time. And I know Nurk's injury, you had to pivot quickly. So, I mean, it is what it is, but, but he's this, kind this of failed more than he succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's, he's probably, you know, if you look at it over time, it's probably average. He is, I think he's an average GM. And I think you have an average coach. And I think to sit here and blame one over the other when I think they're both That's equally re- Yeah, they're both equally responsible. Um, what I will say this year, the team is really good, not elite, but they should have been playing much better prior to this four-game stretch. I mean, we've talked about this, Sage. You look at the Phoenix roster, you look at the Utah roster, that should be Portland. We should be one, two right now in the West, given the injuries to the Lakers and, and uh, the Nuggets and how often the Clippers rest their players, how underperforming the Mavericks have been. That should have been us. I think that falls on Terry as well, because then you need a coach that is going to hold a team accountable. But I don't want to go in any deeper than that. Uh, I just thought it was interesting timing. Dame was asked after the um, after the game, think it was the Brooklyn game. Yeah. He was asked after the Brooklyn game. He was like, you know, I was kind of irritated that dropped at this time. I have a open door policy with Terry and Neil, like I can speak with him on, on anything. So I think he kind of brushed it off, but uh, yeah, I was glad we won that game because I was worried that that was going to be really poor timing. We'd won two straight dude. Right. Thankfully, thankfully we got those, those two dubs and, and hopefully it's, it's something I think it's an off-season discussion. Like, let's let's live in the now. And yeah, I, I'm just so over debating Terry and Neil. Like, I 
that is my least they're, favorite they're thing to do. They're both faults, and they're both they've both had failures and successes. So to think that to think that they're not connected is kind of naive. Like those two are connected to each other. Their careers in Portland are connected. It's not a separate thing. It is what it is. I mean, I read it. I didn't feel like I needed to fucking be part of the discussion on Twitter because I've let my I've let my opinion on both of those guys be pretty pretty uh pretty well known for the last few years. So it's, it's you know, it is what it is. Like I mean, that that that's that's a that's an hour long discussion for June when we win the championship. <laughs> All right, Sage. Let's get into these fan questions. Uh, up first from one of the realest ones. There is uh, Anise at Brown Blazer PDX. Anise wants to know. Like the others, what do you think caused this turnaround? And do you think it's sustainable as the season comes to a close and we get ready for the playoffs? Sage, uh, I'll give you first crack at this Assuming one. we're healthy. Can we assume health? I think yes. if we play with this level of regression and Nurkic stays locked in, I think that there's a very good chance that we can stay on a, on a level similar to this. You know, I don't think Anthony Simons is going to hit 9 out of 10 threes you know, every fifth game, but I think that we can keep this level of uh, confidence up. It's just about our aggression factor and health. As to what caused the turnaround, I mean, the Blazers have a, they're very tight-lipped. Nothing rarely leaks from this organization. It could have been a players-only meeting. They could have said enough is enough. Uh, who who knows it why it a took- pizza party, bro. We don't know. Who, who knows why it took five straight losses, four of them being at home. Um, honestly, it could have been the Memphis Grizzlies. They could have Dylan a, shit. a sleeping dog. Uh, they came into our gym and kind of smacked us in the mouth twice. And, and they did it. And they had a lot of fun doing it. And they were talking shit. Dylan Brooks saying, we want that sweep. Um, CJ post game after that third Memphis game is like, you know, we came out with the mentality to whoop, whoop some ass and we whooped their ass. And I think they got challenged as, as professional basketball players. Like, man, we, we can't, we can't, we're getting punked right now. Like there was some self-awareness somewhere from the last Sunday's Memphis game to Tuesday's Indiana's game. Somewhere on that flight, there was a lot of self-awareness where we're like, they've put up or shut up time. Like I, we're low key embarrassed with how we're playing. And I think it just, sometimes you have to reach rock bottom before you want to make a change for yourself. And apparently that was going, you know, defeated on a homestand was their rock bottom. Maybe slipping into the play in uh, was their rock bottom, but you know, maybe Memphis was the kick in the ass that they needed. And they, they really came out and Norman mentioned it post game with Brooke. Dylan Brooks said they wanted to sweep us. We could not let that happen. So I think that played a role in it. And I think there was some form of a, of a players meeting because the, yeah, because the way the team's playing is, is so much more selfish. There's more trust. I think some things got said and, you know, knowing Dame and CJ, they're pretty open to criticism and they're probably the best at handling it that, that we've ever had on, on this team. So like, I, I think something was said and you, and you can just tell by the way they're playing. There's, there's much more joy. You, they're actually looking like they're having fun out there. 
they are trying hard. Like you can distinctly see the effort out there and what they're, you know, their output on the hardwood and they're sharing the basketball. You're, you're not seeing that hero basketball that we saw through the first, you know, 60 games of, of the season. They're, they're, they're sharing is caring. And I think they're finally starting to trust one another. And, and you know what, winning cures all when you do something and you start to win, you want to do it more and it only validates what you were doing. So, you know, I, I think it's, I think it is sustainable. I, we touched on it earlier, Sage. It, it is sustainable basketball. When you move the ball, when you take high quality shots and you play defense with a mindset that you're going to stop them, not just for three minutes in the fourth quarter, but for 48 minutes, and you're able to stay healthy and start to get some continuity and some chemistry. You see how this team could make a Western Conference Finals run. I mean, it's, it's, it's a better team than that 2019 team. Matchups are going to have to fall your way, but you can start to see the building blocks come together. And that that's a beautiful sight. And I think that's, you know, probably the best thing that's happened this week is it does look sustainable. Um, so Superfly 77 had, had that same question as well. Um, I would also add, you know, I, I think Damien set the tone. We, we talked about it. He, he, him being healthy and him also taking on the challenge defensively to say, guys, I know I'm not the best, but I'm going to try my damnedest. There's better defenders out here. You need to at least raise your effort level to my end. And I think you just, you have some accountability. And I think a lot of leadership was shown by, by CJ and Dame. There was a play in the Memphis game on Tuesday Second quarter, we're, we have the game in hand, but, you know, in today's modern NBA basketball, a 20-point lead can feel like seven. Like, it can just go in, in three possessions. No lead is safe. Well, Nurkic is bringing the ball up the court, and he's kind of, you know, little lackadaisical, loosey-goosey with the ball, throws a one-hand pass. Well, it gets picked off. Thankfully, I think Covington or Powell fouls Morant before he can throw down a monster jam and get their fans in, involved and you know, really – reinvigorate that team but cj went up to nerf and kind of let him have it and be like big man we can't have you playing so fucking loose with this basketball like value the possession and so i think you're seeing the leadership from dame and cj and and holding each other accountable finally um that that's what we've been calling for that's what we've been needing like the players have to be able to kind of you know police themselves and say hold each other to a specific standard. Like this is the blazer way and we're not going to win playing the sloppy, lazy basketball that we played for the first 60 games. We need to tune it up. We have to scrap Dame. Dame even said, like, I think it was at the Indiana game. We can't be afraid to play desperate. And we, we talked about this age. They, they think prior to this winning streak, they thought they were too cool for school. They thought they were better than who they really were. And they thought they could just, you know, go out there and show up and flip it on for a four or five minute stretch and get the win. No, they are not that talented. This is a good, not great roster. And if they really want to succeed, they need to really look back. And I think Damon CJ could look back to that 2016 team. They played with that chip on their shoulder. They played with that grittiness and they outperformed their talent. Effort can go a long way in the NBA when everybody is just as talented as the next player. Sometimes you just have to want it more and 
not be afraid to to scrap. I don't know why scrap is isn't cool, but man, like I guarantee you, the teams that do that are going to be the ones that 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 race that that banner at the end of the season. If Portland <clears throat> wants to have a successful season in the post postseason. They're going to have to keep playing like this. They're going to have to keep just doing the dirty work. And I, I think mean, we've had, we've had that, that, the, that, the problem time. for years. Like we've, we've, <clears throat> we've had that problem of feeling like we're too cool. Like this is like teams are just going to bow down to our greatness. And like, there's years upon years of data that says, you know, if we don't take this team seriously, they're going to punch us in the mouth and be inspired to play basketball for 48. You know, it's been like that. We lost to the process as 76ers before, bro. We were acting so cool on terrestrial radio, talking about how we were going to demolish this team, and then they kicked us in the mouth. That's a very difficult thing to do, to kick somebody in the mouth. I probably should have said it's punch, but whatever. A uh, question from uh, Justin B. Leak. Wants to know why is CJ so funny? I think Justin is referencing the post game interview with Brooke, where he was not having Robert Covington uh, d- dousing him with water, calling it a regular season game. Uh, he he did That's act the a mentality little, you want though. Like he did, he he did act a little grouchy uh, in that post game interview. Good. I, I hope CJ gets a glass of wine and just you know go has a good night's sleep. You know we we got another back to back. We got to play. You hear him talk that shit about the schedule gods giving us a back-to-back type shit after travel. Yeah, like, hey, bro, voice your displeasure. You got the platform to do it. Voice your displeasure. Talk about talk about the shit that affects you. Punch them in the mouth and rest the entire fourth quarter, which you've been doing in three out of these four games. So, also since we have the platform, uh, happy Asian and Pacific Islander month shout out to everybody go and support an asian business salute oh, yeah. to a salute to my mom who brought me here so leave a couple of links in the, in the description of your favorite businesses age that we can all uh patron hell yeah all right cool uh, last question from dana ramoni uh, <laughs> i saw this this is the one i saw it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> is mr haas stepping away from the ledge yet uh it's never that serious. Don't push him because he's close to the edge. He's trying not to lose his head. Boom! <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's never that serious. If 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 we start to lose like that, then I look for the positives, which was let's get a lottery pick. Okay, let's start research. I, I love the draft. So if that's the area we want to go. Do you think go, we get a second-round pick or a first-round pick? Purchase one? Playoffs. If we purchase oh, one. Uh, I don't think teams buy first-round picks anymore. Um, General managers are much more smarter these days than they were back in uh, the Robert Sarva era. <laughs> um, hey, man, I would love to be able to give me Miles McBride in the second, you know? Anyway. Maybe a second round pick. But yeah, if if we lose, then, you know, I'll watch. And it's definitely not as fun. It's not as fun to record these episodes. I will tell you that as much. Bro, it is not fun being in a text chain with you. I'm just going to be real. When we're losing and sucking, it is not fun. I mute you never, guys so quick. I will never text you ever again. <laughs> I seriously doubt that shit. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't text you. I didn't text you at all. I doubt that. So you're gonna te- you're gonna text me tomorrow at 11 a.m., bro. Nope. I'm gonna wake your ass up at 5:45 <laughs> in the morning. Uh, you know I don't pick up my phone. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. Just, sorry. I'm good. It's uh. It, it's 
it's never get too high, never get too low. Like, yeah, we're four zero this week, but we could lose the next four. Like, that's we're playing better basketball. But yeah, this I mean, team kind of, this team kind of is who they are. Like, just live in the moment. It's a fun weekend. Hopefully, we can. Hopefully, we can continue it. And it's all about managing expectations. Like, I never thought we were winning the title this year, but this team is good enough to make the final four a conference finals like they're good enough that they're better than utah if we played utah in a, in a series i would pick portland to win so but if we played the lakers that's 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 a, that's a uphill climb so it's all about perspective and when you see a team underachieve there's really nothing less enjoyable as a fan than watching an underachieving team because you're just kind of seeing like a core getting ready to be broken up. You're seeing, you know, oh, I trades that you wish you could redo. You're you're having to really looking about retooling and not. It's just there's nothing fun about it. So it's good to see this team play up to to their level. All right, Sage. Let's take a quick commercial break from our sponsor, and then we will get to our weekly preview. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, the Lakers lost, which means there is a three-way tie between Dallas, Los Angeles, and Portland. All of us, 36 and 28. Portland has the tiebreaker over Dallas, and they get a chance to earn that tiebreaker over the Lakers this week. It is another four-game slate. Portland is already 4-0 on the six-game road trip, but there's two games remaining. They tackle those two games uh, tomorrow, which is Monday in Atlanta against the Hawks. They wrap it up Wednesday in Cleveland against the Cavaliers, and uh, they come home uh, to face the Lakers on Friday, and then they get the Spurs on Saturday. A really tough week of basketball, if you ask me, just based upon the schedule, based on when they play certain teams, the amount of back-to-backs, um, much more difficult than I think it looks just on paper. Um, but let's get it started and talk about the Atlanta Hawks, uh, a team that I, I think is struggling uh, a bit. In terms of the, for sure. Yeah, in terms of their expectations, I know they're fifth in the East, but the East is kind of a cesspool where basically 500 basketball and you're almost at home court advantage. Uh, they are 35 and 30. They are fighting with the Heat and the Celtics uh, for basically the top six in the East, mm-hmm. five and five in their last ten. Uh, you touched on the injuries. Uh, you want to go a little bit more in depth on who they are, who they're missing at the moment. So, Basketball Reference has Bogdan Bogdanovich as day to day with a hamstring. He's probable for us in Portland. DeAndre Hunter is out with a knee. Uh, Cam Reddish has that Achilles and is out. Tony Snell's day-to-day. Trey Young has been hurt, um, been questionable, has that Q-tag. Yeah, he's played the last one, but he was out two games ago. Clint Capella's been hurt a lot recently. So it it really is who – it's hard to project who's going to actually play. I know that Hunter and Cam are out – if if Trey Young's out, oh, this this is going to be an ass kicking. But what Atlanta has done with Nate McMillan, our good buddy Nate McMillan, as the head coach, is they played a really slow brand of basketball. And you know, <clears throat> with Lloyd Pierce and 
Atlanta team, you you thought fast-paced and really bad defense. Well, they've slowed down the pace quite a bit, and they've increased the defense. So this isn't going to be the run-and-gun game that you you imagine when you uh, when you think about the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Trey Young has been the same old 25 points, nine assists type of player. Uh, Clint Capella has really, really shown something this year with his amazing play rebounding and scoring those dunks, you know, the, the Trey young lobs, John Collins has, uh, I'm kind of surprised that he's been on the team, but with that, the, the winning that has happened, John Collins has uh, been a better camper about, you know, what's happening. Um, so really I think our pick and roll defense has to be on point against the uh, Hawks who run a lot of pick and roll. Um, on uh, on Yeka gets about 18. He can rim run. So the pick and roll defense to me is the number one thing we have to focus on. If we can stop them with Yusuf playing that good defense against the Hawks, I think this is going to be a pretty good a pretty good victory. It's all about the pick and roll defense to me. Pick and roll defense for sure. I would also mention that this might be a good game to go around a Hollis Jefferson rather than Ennis Cantor. Yeah, I mean, if, could you imagine Ennis on Onyeka in the second unit? I was more thinking of playing drop coverage against Trey Young, and I, I, I don't oh, think anybody... You know, it, one half of the pick and roll, you know. I don't think anybody wants to see that. So this is a team you do not want to play on the second night of a back-to-back. It just seems like games against Atlanta in Atlanta always high scoring, always down to the wire. Portland has found a way to win them recently. However, I think the X factor is going to be second chance points. Uh, Portland is tied with Memphis now after tonight's performance, 14.8 up second chance points. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks are fifth, 14.2. So that's going to be um, very crucial for the Blazers to take advantage of. And, that's where you really need Ennis, but is he going to be a defensive liability? So going to be a lot of juggling, but by Terry Stotts, uh, I think this is a game where off the bench, you're going to need additional players to, to come in. So I'm looking at Anthony Simons and Nasir Little to provide a lot of energy. Uh, our, our, our big three plus Nurk logged a lot of minutes against Boston. Uh, that, was a, that was a draining victory. So you always need players to come in. Like I think the bench overall is going to be the X factor. I think they have players that Carmelo Anthony can exploit if he gets isolated on, especially in the block. Uh, you look at Anthony Simons, who has just been red hot from downtown. Nasir is the, the go-go you know, energizer bunny. I think he can really provide a spark. And so I think if you get the bench and then if you're able to play smart, in terms of, yes, we're tired, but let's not just throw up quick threes. Let's play the way that we have that's got us this four-game win streak. I think in normal, if this were even a four-game win streak in the middle of the season or the beginning of the season, I would predict a loss. But given that I know the Blazers are scoreboard watching and I know that they saw Dallas and Los Angeles lose tonight, I'm predicting a victory because they want to keep pace. They know they have the tougher schedule than Dallas mm. and they know that they're going to get a chance to surpass the Lakers on Friday. Um, I think they also want to go undefeated on this road trip. And I think if you do uh, do it against Atlanta, you're going to have a marvelous chance to do it against Cleveland. So um, 
I look for the bench to keep us in this game uh, over the course. And I think Dame, Dame's going to be that closer. Uh, they just don't have anybody who I think can, can really defend him. Especially Trey Young, could you imagine? Um, and Dame loves, absolutely. Dame says he would much prefer to play a back-to-back than get that day of rest off and play a road game. So we saw Dame go for 30 against uh, Brooklyn, and he had a double-double, a 2010-plus against the Celtics. I look for another Dame night as he looks to cement his status as a first-team All-NBA player. So I've got the Blazers winning as well. Is is there a chance that Yusuf's uh, limited tonight, uh, tomorrow? I haven't heard anything about any minutes restrictions for Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, the, it, he played a lot of this tonight, so there might be a chance, but we we need the big man against Clint Capella and uh, Onyeka. But the next game, I don't know. The Cleveland Cavaliers, this is a team where they are horrible, to, to put it just politely. 21 and 43 on the year. They are just 12 and 19 at home. They've lost six straight games. They're one and nine in their last 10. And this is in a way a trap game. We could be five and zero, oh, and I think a less experienced team may just show up and try to win. I think you have to come out and play with that same mentality you did against Indiana and Memphis and throw the first punch. Even against Boston, we were up nine early. We threw the first punch. We say this all the time when we're talking about bottom feeding teams, especially late in the season stage. They don't want to be there. They don't want to win. So don't give them a reason to think that they can. I think mm-hmm. this is a game. The X factor is Portland needs to come out and jump on them from the jump. First quarter, be up by 10 plus, and then just ride that wave towards the the, the end of the game. Um, have you seen how injured they are currently? They got Delhi's out for the year. Torian Prince is out for the year. Larry Nance Jr. is out. Darius Garland's day-to-day with an ankle. Lamar Stevens is out. Dylan Weidler's out. Isaiah Hartenstein's day-to-day. They're very injured. And did you see um, Kevin Love just tap the ball in? Like, this this is a fucking miserable team right now, man. Super injured. And did you – there was an article today, and I don't remember from who, about Collins, the people hating Colin Sexton because he doesn't pass. Whew, that, that is a yes. toxic work situation right there. Um, I, I would love to save Larry Nance Jr. from this team. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, Jared Allen's always going to produce. He's, he's, a, he's, a guy, he's a gamer. Colin Sexton is kind of one of those guys that can get Loose against us. He's one of those lightning quick guards. We have trouble against that. But if we're focused, we need to beat the shit out of this team and rest Nurkic and Dame and CJ. Absolutely. And this is a game where Portland, if they run their offense, they're going to get open looks. They're going to get a lot of open looks from three. And teams shoot the ball really well from downtown against the Cavaliers. They are third worst in the NBA. They allow opponents to shoot over 38% from, from three. Uh, we know if Portland gets anywhere near that 40 to 42% mark, they're damn near unbeatable. I think it's like 18 or 19 and 0. Um, again, you can't rely on that three-point shot, but if it's there and it's clicking early, continue to ride that. It will be important for Portland if that three isn't falling to then adapt and adjust and then work inside out because they have players that they can post up. We talk about Cantor, we talk Nurkic, Carmelo. You've got Norman 
you've got Norman Powell, who's you know willing to go to the basket. Dame should be able to get by their guards at absolute will. Um, this is a game where Portland needs to be focused. Um, I think my X factor is going to be Norman Powell. Uh, in, in games like this, you need players to get to the line. You need cheap, easy baskets. Um, I think those just open the game up. And it also, it's another layer to not playing sloppy or playing lazy. It's like, okay, we, we know we have to take this seriously. This is a way we can do that is by getting to the line, getting points in the paint, demoralizing the Cavs early and often. And I, I think the Blazers go six and zero, which would just be incredible. Uh, damn near miraculous, especially after what transpired at home the previous week. What say you? It, 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 it almost has to, has to be a win. I mean, if, if we're being real and Portland wants, if we want to avoid the plan, I mean, you can't, you can't lose to the Cavaliers. Like the schedule is tough for Portland. This is, this is quote unquote, one of the gimmies. And then I know that can be, yeah, I know that can be scary, but if, if you can blow out the Pacers by 30 plus, let's do it against the, the Cavaliers as well. Uh, the most interesting game on the slate this week is the Los Angeles Lakers. It comes Friday. Unfortunately, it is the first game after being on the road for 10 straight games or 10 straight days, excuse me, and say it all the time. The first home game back after an extended road trip is essentially another road game. Um, the Blazers right now are 16 and 16 at home. They're 20 and 12 on the road. Uh, I did the math uh, and I looked in, in, in all of the record books. If Portland gets one more road victory, they will have secured a better road winning percentage than home for the first time in their 51 year franchise history. I think a lot of it has to do with the coronavirus and Portland being the only arena that doesn't have any fans currently, but that that kind of blows my mind how strong we play on the road. I, I believe only Phoenix has a better road record right now. Portland is number two in the NBA on the road, um, which is impressive. And that's where you want to be right now if you're Portland, because that's where you're going to start at in the postseason is on the road. So if we do go 6-0 on the road trip and we come home, this Laker game is going to tell me a lot about the Portland Trailblazers. One can't, can, you're sooner or later, you're going to have to be victorious at home. I mean, you're going to have to protect your home court fans or no fans. And it's the tiebreaker against the Lakers. And this is LeBron and AD. They're still working out the kinks. They've lost two straight games, but you've got to get up for this game. I mean, this is, this is still the, the reigning defending champions coming into your gym. Um, I, I wish tickets were available because this this would be the game to go to is it on national tv i don't know i think it is on espn though oh okay you know it, it's uh, so while you were talking i was looking at uh the game flow of that game uh against the toronto raptors and i know that it was a uh ass whooping by the raptors but i was trying to see how many minutes ad and LeBron played. LeBron played 27. Anthony played 33.5. I don't, I, I mean, Anthony Davis is always going to be limited by this injury. He always will be because it's degenerative. It will, so, but they're playing him normal minutes. 
he hasn't been good, but he's playing those minutes. And you know Anthony Davis and LeBron James have it in them to just dominate a game. Um, in, this in matchup despite, sucks for us. And despite them being LeBron and Anthony Davis missing months, the Lakers have maintained the number one defensive rating. Yeah, they're still a great defensive team. Yeah, they're one hundred six point seven is their defensive rating. That is number one in the league. So impressive job by Frank Vogel to get a, a bunch of veterans to just buy, buy in. in. Yeah, it, it, that's impressive. You know, I, I just think this is a really bad matchup for the Blazers. They're a really good defensive team. They're getting LeBron and AD back. This kind of if it's on national TV, you're gonna get national TV Anthony and LeBron and Damian Lillard. You can't forget that. I, I if if I was a betting man, which I am, I would bet on the Lakers to win this game. But of course, there's a chime, chance. Is it? It's in Portland, right? Yes. Okay. There's always that chance. Damien has that ceiling game, and I would love to see it. But I think that I will go with the Lakers this game. It's going to be a close one, but I think the Lakers uh, pull this one out. So we do get the benefit of catching the Lakers on the second night of a back-to-back. They play at home against the Clippers, technically a road game, but they still play at home. And then they traveled and they travel to Portland um, to take on, take on our trailblazers. I'm going to continue to ride this wave of momentum. Again, we're assuming six and zero road trip. You're assuming that so the Lakers this week they play Denver and the Clippers before they play Portland. Not only is this a chance to get the tiebreaker, this is a chance to put some decent distance between you and the Lakers, forcing the Lakers down into the play-in. I mean, I think the rest of the M- the rest of the NBA it, it would just revel in that. Like everyone would eat that up. Just incredible. LeBron is still working his way in. He's only played two games. This would be game number five back Portland would mark his fifth game back and while I do agree that LeBron on national TV is a different beast he is such an incredibly intelligent player especially about his body that I don't know if he's still going to go guns a blazing in his fifth game back like I think they are still trying to They're trying to yeah, slowly integrate LeBron and AD back together, but do it at somewhat of a rapid pace because, again, we're sub-10 games left in the season. But I think, you know, we finally are healthy playing against the Lakers. Like, we still weren't healthy playing the Lakers in the bubble. CJ had a fucking broken back. Dame was run down from carrying the team. Uh, I'm really intrigued by how we match up with them it's going to be difficult because you're going to have to put Covington on LeBron, like, or are we going to just put Norm on LeBron? Like we've done GT, but we've done Gary Trent Jr. Before Derek Jones played LeBron decently early. So it's going to be interesting to see how our small lineup matches up with them. I'm going to, I am going to go Blazers victory. Riding, riding the momentum, I, I think we're seeing Dame round into form. Again, I want to see him make first-team All-NBA. The, the month of April, 
combined with Steph's outrageous month and Luca continuing to do Luca things, like there's three spots, there's three players going for two spots. Dame's had too good of a season to not get one of those spots. He's got to really use these last, you know, eight to 10 games to do it. And I, there's no better stage. Like if, if Portland's serious, like if you're really, really serious about making a run, you got to put the Lakers in their place when, when they're still, you know, they're still licking their wounds a bit, you know, you can't let them get fully healthy against you. And then Portland plays the San Antonio Spurs, uh, the second night of a back-to-back Portland recently beat the Spurs all the way back. Oh, excuse me. I had the Lakers schedule up all the way back on April 16th, 107-106. This was the game Portland came back from 16 in the third quarter. Uh, this game's going to be a dogfight. An, an absolute just just fight. The, the Spurs, even without DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, took the 76ers to overtime before, before losing. Um, this could also be the game that Portland... Uh, you know, we're really close between the, the Warriors and the Spurs, each with 32 losses to clinching not the ninth, not the 10th spot. So at least clinching one, seven or eighth at the very worst. You know, we're starting to get in magic number territory. Who knows if, if DeRozan's going to play, but what you do know is the Spurs, they're, they're going to come to play. They're going to come to play the right way. They're going to make you earn this victory. Absolutely. And, uh, There's no backing down. Um, in the last this game, game scares me to be honest. Absolutely. You got the best, you got the most, the best coach of a generation or ever going against us. Um, DeRozan was out for rest. Trey Lyles um, ha- has had an ankle. Derek White is out for the year. Yeah. Which Jante is and Jakob were uh, rest candidates. Um, so you don't really know who's going to play, but I think rebounding is going to be the biggest thing. My like recency bias. I remember Jakob Pertl just outboarding us fucking so much to get that first win for San Antonio. I know it's going to be a difficult one. It's really hard to project, especially in a coronavirus reality. I think if we handle the rebounding, we get the dub. Dame has to be Dame. I like our guards versus their guards with uh, Derek White out. So I'm yeah. going Blazers win. It's a, it's a tough stretch for the San Antonio Spurs as well. They've lost three in a row. They have to go on the road to play a home and home against the Utah Jazz Monday and Wednesday. They fly to Sacramento on Friday, and then they play us on a back-to-back as well. So we'll have the you know, we'll have the advantage of being at home on our back-to-back. They're traveling on the road. Um, I think it's going to be another one of those games like Atlanta, like Cleveland, where you get a, a deep bench. Like, is this a type uh, game where we get extra Carmelo? Ant has the, you know, if, if our guards go off, Ant's got to be in that list as well. And then, you know, Nasir, Rondé, like just bringing a lot of energy, playing smart basketball. And I think this is one where you really, like you said it, rebound the ball, keep Pirtle off the boards, uh, do a better job on Eubanks had a, a big first half. Uh, he was an energy guy that helped San Antonio build that lead. And then just make sure you're closing out on the shooters. Rudy Gay likes to have big games against us. Keldon Johnson's been playing very well, as has Lonnie Walker lately. So again, just don't take them lightly. And I, I think if, if all goes according to plan, we would be looking at an eight-game win streak. Portland's probably going to want to 
look at our last three games and say, oh, we can go out and win or we can rest. They, they want as many options as they can to pick their opponent. They know they're going to be starting out on the road, but to have that luxury, you got to take advantage of these games, especially at home uh, against teams that you're more talented than. So, you know, you picked a three in one week. I think Portland goes four. No, I'm really, you know, putting a, a lot of faith in Damian Lillard to continue to carry us. And hopefully we can get a blowout in one or two of these games. So it's not so much a, of a burden because we are going to want them to be rested up. And again, we are, we don't want to be in the plan if we're not going to, you know, if there's a chance to not make the plan and then you can play Denver instead of the Clippers, that is the dream. So, you know, I think there's just a lot riding. I, I know the Blazers realize there's only eight games left in the season and it's like, okay, well, let's, let's make this final kick. Like we're in a, a marathon down the final, you know, quarter mile. And if we get to rest the last night of the season, awesome. If, if we don't, okay. And we got to you know handle our business, but I think they would rather be in position to choose what they want to do. And it starts with winning games like the, the San Antonio Spurs that Nurk, Nurk should eat. Um, yeah nerd has to eat these games this needs to be pick and roll finishing with one hand uh just yamming on 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 the spurs there's nobody that that should really fuck with him in in this game and and we need to see big nerd numbers all across the board um but yeah i think they go four and oh which would just be incredible considering that there would just be four games left and all winnable in a sense, based upon who's jockeying for position. Um, who would have thought we would have been here last week? Not yeah, me. Absolutely. You know, so like have being a team that is highly variant. Sometimes the week is really miserable. Sometimes it's beautiful with four straight wins. So, you know, just be, just ride this roller coaster for all it can be is uh, kind of my philosophy with it. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash holy backboard. You get to you see our top shot, top shot openings. And I've been doing some DFS content as well. So if you want to learn to about our beautiful the, faces, absolutely. You get to see the 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 difference in facial hair from one video to another from me. So, I, I put on a real shirt. For this I episode, did. I put so. on a clean shirt for this shit, and you have seen the disgusting garbage that I've worn on these podcasts. I've really stepped up my game in terms of the clothing that I've worn. Actually, both of us because we uh, we've both showed up looking quite bummy in the last haggard few as fuck. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah like. if 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 you if you fuck with us uh give us uh, a five-star review like and subscribe that that really helps out if if you feel the need to to join and donate to patreon that that is much appreciated this weekly episode will always and forever be free to our listeners but there are a couple of perks if if you are willing to donate and uh if you've listened this far sage you are a a real one um, so thank you to everybody to listen and all the viewers and all the people that fuck with us. We will be back next week to talk about <laughs> the last four games of the season, the regular season, because we're going 16 to 0 in the playoffs.
Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.